This is Collected Clan, Episode 8. If anything, I've learned through a lot of different hard times I've had is it is healthy for you to press through the pain. Welcome to Collected Clan, the podcast about outstanding people I've met along the way. People with interesting stories, triumphs, and ideals. People who've made their mark in the world and in my life. I'm your host, Gregory Byerline. I've met a lot of people over the years, and many people come and go. But these people are the company that you keep. Everyday people, just like you and me. In this episode, I reconnect with Ginger Eldridge, someone I've known for nearly 26 years I've lived in Nashville. We talk about music business life in Nashville, the impact we both experienced knowing the late, great Landy Gardner, getting to second base with Dolly Parton, yes, you heard that right, doing life with an out ex-spouse, and so much more. She's a mother, she's a survivor, and she's an honorer. Listen, you'll see. Big thank you to everyone who has subscribed and left a rating and review like this one about episode number six with painter-songwriter Elizabeth Foster. I loved this conversation was like I was sitting on the front porch swing with you two. That pretty much sums up what this show is all about. Everyday people having a conversation, telling stories of their lives, and learning new things about each other. It's more than an interview. It's a conversation. It's two-sided, not just one. And in the social media age, when most people have resorted to talking at each other, this is an opportunity to talk with each other. Like this episode with Ginger Eldridge, we go light, then we go deep, Then we go light again, then we go deep, then we go light again, and we cover a lot of memory ground in this conversation. So let's get started via Skype with a swanky new mic gifted to me from a fellow trail runner and podcaster, Ryan Pluckelman, host of East Coast Trail and Ultra Podcast. Join this conversation with Ginger Eldridge, plus my chest cold that was making my voice sound very funny on that night. Here we go. You made it to Nashville before 93 or... Was that just the year that you and I met? That was the year you and I met. Okay. How long have you been here? I actually have been in Nashville since 1986. Oh, wow. So I've been, yeah, I've lived here longer than I lived at home, which I was born and raised in Miami, lived there the first 18 years of my life. And when I was in school, I went to a, a Christian school. We, one of the colleges that they very much promoted, which incidentally, they were a very fundamentalist, uh, very conservative Christian school, independent Baptist. Okay. So the colleges that they would promote were like Bob Jones University, Tennessee Temple, very conservative schools. And the most liberal school that they promoted was Liberty University, which is Jerry Falwell School in Lynchburg, Virginia. So that's where I ended up my first year of college. Okay. My parents weren't churchgoers. I was the only one that, you know, ended up going to church. And I say that because I didn't have rules. I didn't have curfew. I didn't have anything. I could do what I wanted, really. Do you think um, that was what, because you didn't need them? Or need because them. your parents, quote, didn't give a rat's ass and you could do whatever the hell you wanted to? No, my parents gave a rat's ass. Okay. But but I, I didn't need them, really, because I was... I was a good girl. Okay, you know, so you, I didn't, was, okay. you didn't need them. Yeah. Megan, yeah. Didn't, Megan didn't really either, so that's familiar. <laughs> and so when I got to Liberty, it was culture shock because all of a sudden, 
for the first time in my life, I had a 1030 curfew. And, you know, when I, when I say curfew, I mean, they're talking lights out, no studying. You can't be up at all. You had to have your lights out. Wow. Yeah. We couldn't have TVs in our dorm rooms. We could only listen to certain Christian music that didn't have a beat to it. Couldn't have a beat. Beats were of the devil because you might dance. Can't tap your feet because that might be construed as dancing. Exactly. (laughs) We couldn't go to movies. Absolutely no PDA. Um, I had my first boyfriend there and you couldn't go off campus alone with a guy. Like a girl and a guy couldn't go off alone. I wonder if it's still like that. No, I don't think so. Not, not even if you're seniors, could you do that? Like, I remember Guy and Angie Penrod talking about how they were two weeks from getting married and had to have a chaperone in the car with them. So, I mean, it was really strict. And so, like I said, I had my first boyfriend and I had a car. Freshmen couldn't have cars. So I, I had a car, though, because I got a job at the mall and I said I had to have my car to get to get to my job. But you had to go through a guard shack to get out and off campus. Oh my word. And oh yes. And they would they would look in your car. So the way that I me and my boyfriend at the time got off campus was I would put him in the back seat and pile coats and books over him. And usually we'd end up going to Roanoke or somewhere to get away because Liberty had like monitors in town. Like they would have like RAs roving around Lynchburg looking for Liberty students who were doing something wrong, I guess. I remember standing in line at a um, ice cream shop and me and my boyfriend were holding hands and an RA came up to us and they were like, are you Liberty students? And of course I was like, stupid. I went, yeah. (laughs) Oh my word. Yeah. And she looked at us. She's like, you are not, you're not allowed to be holding hands. You're, you know, no PDA. And I'm going to have to write you up if you, if you, you know, touch his thumb again. Right. I wish this were a video podcast because I want you to see my face. <laughs> oh, it's, it was amazing. I'm, I'm I, just, my yeah. mouth is just gaping open. I mean, I thought my school was bad for that sort of stuff. And I was an RA for half of my time there. So I'm just oh, sitting wow. here going, what would I have done if it, I would have had to deal with that as an it, RA? I'm sitting here. My mouth is just, I'm going to catch flies because my mouth is open so wide. I had no idea about this, this about Liberty. Okay. Sorry. I I don't, you know, I don't, I'm pretty sure it's not like that now. They're huge now, but this was back in 1985, 86. And so it was still very, very conservative and very, um, and I say conservative, not politically. I mean, they were conservative politically, but, but conservative in their, morals they're yeah traditional so i had had enough of that i got my fill of it i'll tell you how i found out about belmont is where i ended up that's why i came to nashville was to go to belmont and to you know of course get into the music business but um i was always going to concerts and stuff when i was in high school and do you remember an artist named scott wesley brown yes he was at a i think they were having a festival or something and i went up to him afterwards and I asked, you know, I was like, how do I get into Christian music and everything? And the first thing he mentioned, he was the first person that had ever mentioned Belmont College to me. He's like, you know, here's what you need to do. You need to get your education. And so I highly recommend go to Belmont College in Nashville and 
you know, immerse yourself in the music scene in Nashville. And like I said before that, I'd never even heard of it. So yeah. I remembered that. And that would have been back when Belmont was Belmont College, not Belmont University. Yes. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Incidentally, it's kind of funny because Belmont's mascot was the Rebels back then. And ha. yeah, That's they changed it. Yeah, they changed it a few years back to the Bruins. And I still have like an old keychain as Belmont Rebels. And, you know, it's, I love that. It was just, yeah, it was kind of funny. So anyway, I remembered him talking about Belmont and I was just like, I don't think I can do four years of liberty. I just don't think I can do it. So I looked into it and I talked to my dad and my mom and I came up to Nashville and checked it out and I loved it. And there, you know, I ended up here. So I moved here in 86 and I went to Belmont for four years, graduated in 90 and got into the business. Well, see, mm -hmm. I have, I have learned yet another thing about you. Yeah. I did not, you know, you were older than I am. Oh yeah. I <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no, I am. I'm 51. Can wow. You that? Yeah. And I, no, actually, I can't. I thought we were the same age. Yeah. So I'm a little older. So, yeah, that's how I ended up here. And I actually didn't start going to Christchurch until 80, late, of, late 87. Because when I got here, I, you know, got real involved with, you know, Christian music. I went to Belmont Church, which is was the prominent church in yeah. the 80s, 70s and 80s, it was, you know, Don, Grant, Don Finto. Don Finto, yes. And and everybody that was somebody went there, it seemed like, you know. So And we used to go to Koinonia Bookstore. Do mm -hmm. you remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I used to go there and, yep. you know, to writer's nights. And and so what led me to Christ Church, though, was, um, you know, Belmont was big and, and they didn't have a choir. And when I, where I grew up, we had a church choir and stuff. And I remember um, really missing that. So I was looking for a place that had a good old fashioned choir, you know, one that was a little smaller than Belmont. And I asked around and someone had mentioned Christ Church to me. And at that point, I'd never heard of that church. You know, when I got here, the churches were, you know, Bethel Chapel, Belmont Church. You know, those were the main ones that everybody went to. So me and a friend went and visited. And when I walked in the door, I didn't know a soul, but I walked in the door and I was like, Oh, I'm home. Yeah. This, I've, I've found my church home and I had never heard, I'd never heard of Landy and Joy Gardner, you know, so I had no idea that they had already made their mark in Christian music and Joy was pretty much legendary and all of so I didn't know any of that. What I loved about it was that it was, it was like, it was a smaller church and I loved the choir and it was just so wonderful and I loved the preaching and so after the service, I went up to Landy. I remember walking up to him and introducing myself and telling him I'd love to plant myself, you know, there and, and join the choir. And I told him, you know, I had I had sung with the Belmont Chorale, which was an audition group at Belmont, which was more traditional music. Um, but I told him I was a member of that. And he told me when practice was and I was there next the next Wednesday. But I was just in awe, you know, in awe of Joy's voice. I loved how Landy would dance when he was directing. And mm -hmm. I was blown away by how soulful of a sound that choir would put out when it was 99% white. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, I think Shirley Settles was the only African-American person in the choir, I think. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. and For, for that yet, era, yeah. 
Right. But yet when Landy would direct, I mean, the sound that came out was unbelievable. And Mm -hmm. so it was the complete polar opposite of what I was singing in college, because in college we were all, you know, singing operatic sounding. Holding music. And if you weren't holding music, you were holding the ends. You were interlocking your fingers, you know, at your navel. And right. um, And which is cool in its own right. But it's just different. I'm, yeah. I'm a huge classical music fan, so I, I'm, I'm not knocking that at all. It's oh, just yeah. different, <laughs> completely right. different than swaying back and forth. Exactly. And, <clears throat> and it blew my mind that they never used music at Christchurch. Yeah. They learned everything by rote. Yep. And, but that's pretty much how I ended up there. And I ended up helping to teach parts, you know, and got to do a couple of solos here and there and just loved it. I loved my time there. I was yeah. in it. Uh, I was in it about 25 years wow. and, um, we did, we did, he's alive with Dolly Parton in 89. So we did that before you got there. Yeah. It was 92, 93 before I got there. Okay. Yeah. That was amazing. I mean, to get to do that, it was, I'll tell you, it was probably the most powerful experience on a stage I've ever had to this day Yeah, was when she turned around to us and we started singing He's Alive. I still get chills. I I was about to interject that I'm like a bundle of chills right now. Of course, I just love her to bits. Um, I've I've yet to meet her directly in person, but I remember one time, uh, it's total a bucket list item too. Um, I don't know how it could happen, but I would love for it to happen. But I remember singing behind her on one of the, it was at the Opry House for one of the TV shows back in the 90s. And we did um, I Am a Seeker. Because that yes. was a really old song for her. And then she revived it, re-recorded it on a record or whatever. And I, I got to sing in the choir with her on oh, that. So man. it's like, it's like, oh, she was just right there. She was feet away. But I've never had the pleasure of shaking her hand and looking at her and say, Dolly, you know you're amazing, right? <laughs> because everyone else does. And if you don't know you're amazing, I want to tell you that everyone thinks you're amazing. I've never had I, that opportunity because I would totally do that. I'd just fall apart. I, well, yeah. Just well, mad respect do. for her. Mad yeah. respect for her. Uh, and, and now that we have kids and we've gone through the Imagination Library th- thing with her, <gasps> with her, I mean, that's just, I mean, seriously. Yeah, she's she's amazing. <laughs> She is. And her it's voice, funny. Dear it, it, Lord. What's really funny, what's funny is with <clears throat> you saying that you never had a chance to look her in the eye, it brought to mind a really funny story. Um, we did, a, we did a, you remember the Nashville Network? Yep. A small group from the choir sang behind her for the Nashville Now show one night. And I remember we did a, a sound check and I actually had connections with Dolly outside of the choir because I I worked for Sony Music, which was Columbia Records, which was her label. So I kind of had a couple of different inroads to her. So I went down after we were done and, you know, we gave each other a hug and I kept my arm around her and I'm patting her arm or what I thought was her arm. Oh, man. (laughs) You totally got to second base with Dolly. I did. Oh my I word! I did. I did, and I, I was like, and then all of a sudden I looked, and I, I was like, <gasps> and I was mortified. And she just <laughs> laughed. I mean, she was just like, "You ain't the first. You won't be the you last." Won't be the last. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, I guess you I could love say that I got story. second base with Dolly. So there you go. <laughs> and, um, you know, she had sequins on and I couldn't tell, you know? Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but the other, the other really special thing about her for me was in 1991, she asked a small group from the choir of ladies to come and sing on the CMA awards with her. And she was doing a song called Eagle When She Flies about strong women. And so we were going to dress up like various career women. And um, this took place about two and a half weeks after my father was killed. My dad was killed by a drunk driver. Oh, wow. Yeah, in 1991 and down in Miami. And it happened two blocks from home. It was just it was awful. It was tragic. When I got the call, I mean, obviously I was in shock and I was devastated and I had to fly back to Miami. I had to make all the arrangements and try to help my mom with everything. And at that point, I had only been working for CBS or Sony for two months, but I had pretty much resigned myself to moving back home to Miami because I I felt like my mom and brother wouldn't be able to I mean, my dad was the rock of the family. Yeah. And so I thought it was over for me. I thought, well, I'm packing up and moving back to Miami. All my dreams are done. (laughs) That half a year was fun. (laughs) Right, right. And so I'd planned the funeral and everything. And I I stayed there after, you know, for about a week or so. And when Landy's assistant called me and she told me what Dolly had requested of this small group. And she said, Landy wants me to come back and do it. And I was like, I, I I don't know how I can. And I, you know, I just I remember feeling guilty for wanting to leave my mom and go back to Nashville to sing and all of that. But I had a close friend remind me that my dad had worked so hard to send me through school, get me to Nashville, so I could live out my dreams. And he would have wanted me to go back. He would not have wanted me to stop my life. He would have wanted me to go back to Nashville. So I did. I I came back to sing with her and start living my life here again. It was like that getting that call gave me my purpose back. I I can't even tell you how our world fell apart, you know, after that, um, after, you know, my dad was killed. So it was like a shot in the arm that I needed to go, you know what? Life has to go on. And so I did. I came back. We did our costuming, and I ended up wearing army fatigues. Like, and you, was, you guys were like the village people women, weren't you? We were. We were. <laughs> it, it was. We were. This is but the it, first I've ever heard of that, but I can't, I can't tell you what images are going through my mind right now. Oh, oh my gosh. Yes, it was. We were like the village people. Like, oh, poor Joy had a brown UPS uniform on. Can you imagine? <laughs> That's fantastic. Yes. And, I mean, there was an astronaut and, I mean, everything you could think of. But I got army fatigues and it was perfect because I had brought my daddy's army pins and nameplate and everything home with me. And I asked them if it would be okay if I could honor him by putting those pins and everything on my uniform. And they were like, absolutely. And, see, absolutely. and that also is fantastic. It, it just tied it all together. And it, it was just amazing. And the other cool thing is that President Bush, George H.W. Bush, the first one, and Barbara were in attendance that night. So there was unbelievable security there and everything. And and I'll never forget. But you had your fatigues on, so you were good. 
Oh, well, I have a better, <laughs> I, I have a great story about that too. Cause um, you know, secret service wherever was everywhere and everything. And when it was almost time for us to go on stage, Garth Brooks was waiting in the wings with his band. And that was the year he performed shameless and he carried a rose with him. You know how theatrical and everything he is. He carried a rose with him and he, I guess for during his performance, but when he saw me coming toward the wings toward the stage area, he took the rose and put it in his teeth and he stood up straight and saluted me. Oh man. And I think he thought I was really there, like really in the army and was there because of the president being there. And in the split second, I'm thinking, do I correct him or do I go with it? And I thought, just go with it. Totally run with that one. Yes. And I, so I decided to go with it and I stood up straight and saluted him right back. You know, and so I got saluted by Garth Brooks. It was I love cool. that. Yeah. So that whole night was just an amazing thing for me. It put me back. It reminded me that life goes on as horribly tragic and everything as that was with my dad. I could just imagine he was looking down and, you know, who knows, helping He's going. Orchest- orchestrate He's going. That's that. That's my girl. Exactly. Exactly. So that was just a really cool thing with Dolly and the choir and, Everything. So I remember going to uh, some industry events with you. I, I wasn't working in the music business yet, but that's why I moved to Nashville. And you invited me to go to Sunset Grill for uh, some sort of reception. And I remember Rick Trevino was there. I, actually, it might have been his album release party. I think so. Um, and I think Joe Diffie was there and at a few other, maybe Doug Stone. But that was yeah. all your corral of artists, right? That's right. And that's another thing I had completely forgot about. Because that was the really the first industry event that I went here, aside for some um, GMA and Dove Award stuff when I was in college. Because right. I, I interned here between my junior and senior year. And then over my senior year, I worked out a way to where I had a job. And I graduated, went home, packed my crap, and moved to Nashville. Um, wow. So that summer of 91, I was here doing some industry stuff, but it wasn't music row industry stuff. And when you invited me to go that, I was like, well, of course I want to do this. I, mean, I'm, I want to soak up everything I can about the music world here in Music City. I was very honored that you invited me and I was able to go. And every time I hear Rick Trevino, which actually is relatively often because I have still have that in my iTunes. And wow. I love to listen to Shuffle because I like the element of surprise. Mm-hmm. And I'll hear stuff. I was like, you know what? I wouldn't have necessarily chosen to play that album, but I love that that Patty Loveless song just played, or you know, or right. a Joe Diffie song, or or whomever, you know. So and it'll it'll go from Rick Trevino to a Metallica song, and then it'll go to Kvitka, and then it'll jump to you know someone else just totally random. And it's like I love sh- the shuffle button is my favorite button on my phone. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, for for that reason, because it's it's um it's almost like Russian roulette, in a good mm-hmm. way. That's so, yeah, so cool. I, re- I remember that. And every time a Rick Trevino song comes on, I'm immediately back in Sunset Grill at that event. I think it was. I think it was a, an album release party, and and I was I was taken back at how diminutive Rick Trevino was or is. Mm-hmm. He was a little guy. I mean, he was. He's a little guy. He mm-hmm. was short and a great voice, a great writer. Like, I mean, hold on, I total like really cool hat act. Even though he was a black hat hat act, he still seemed like a good guy. He was like how I imagine Brad Paisley being. I've never met Brad, but he's a white hat guy. 
Yeah, and I liked the the Texas Spanish flair that Rick Tavino had. So anyway, I yeah. love that too. That, that was, was cool. very unique, especially back in in the day. Yep. That was you had Freddie Fender in the seventies. You know, you kind of had some mm-hmm. um, Hispanic artists in country music, but not a lot. And mm-hmm. and Rick came through, and he he actually recorded that album in Spanish as well. Yep. Which which was a big thing because you know they just didn't do that. Un momento allá. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, this I'm I'm really dredging the memory banks here. But, you sure are. But yeah, it's, it's fun times. So, I mean, we go way back, Ginger. That's why you're on this show. My goodness. <laughs> well, just say, I'm sure I've got that album behind me here on this shelf, and like I said, it looks like Tower Records in here. I've got way too many CDs. I've got to start digitizing and you know offloading, as you said. I've yeah, got to I've start doing I've that. just gotten tired of moving them. What remains of my CD collection is in my son's closet. Fortunately, his clothes are super small because he's not even three yet. Um, <laughs> so he's really just using up the drawers. But eventually he's going to need that closet space. And Megan's going to look at me and go, okay, get this stuff out of my house. Right. Yeah, I'll go in there and I'll, I'll, I'll burn 10 discs and just to digitize them and have them on a portable hard drive or something like that. That's, you know, smaller and doesn't take up much as much physical space, but. What do you do with them afterwards? Do you take them up to McKay's or I do, do just, or I if McKay's? and uh, and if they don't take them, then I have used the CDs for a backdrop in my old photography studio, and I had several photo shoots on this. It was either Whoa. eight eight foot square or ten foot square. It was a ten foot square wall. There was no space between CDs, so it was this wall of mirror spectrum discs wow um, i'll pull up some of those images and i'll put it in the show notes for this episode yes. so you and, and listeners can see them i i loved it i mean it, it shot well in color it shot well in black and white i don't know i shot on it maybe four or five times and i'm like okay it's time for this to go because it doesn't need to be used and used and used and used and used i mean it's just one of those things that you do in a photography studio you you shoot on something four or five times and you paint over it and you do something else so if McKay's didn't take them, then I was like, well, I just I just put them in a laundry basket, <laughs> just the discs, and I ended up using them for creative work. That's great. Yeah, so, so it was fun. Unfortunately, I don't have any kind of a creative bone in my body, so I couldn't think of anything to do with them. I probably, McKay's or Goodwill, I yep. think, is where they will end up. So Yep, or, or send them to someone who wants to cart them over to a country where digital music does not reign. And it's like, you know, oh. here, here, here's some good music. You know, I, just, I don't like to throw stuff away. I mean, I know it'll eventually end up in the landfill anyway, but I'd rather someone else put it there. Actually, instead of that, the, the motive is, well, there's still some useful life out of this. Let me pass it along to someone. And if they can't use it, hopefully they'll pass it along to someone, you know, literally can get as much life used, used out of it as possible. And then someone else can discard it. Yep. I'm the same way. I think I inherited this from my parents. You know, their parents were the Depression, Depression era. era yeah. actually, actually, my mom, well, my mom was born in 36. Well, mom and dad were both born in 36. So they were coming right off of the Depression era. So they saved everything. Yeah, so they're, but their parents, they lived through the Depression. So they, yeah, they didn't throw anything away. Exactly. And, and so I grew up that way and, if you saw this room, you'd go, yeah, I think you 
definitely <laughs> subscribe to that lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, it's not hoarders or anything, but it's just things equal sentimental emotion. It, I have a hard time getting rid of things because of for what they mean to me, you know, right. or the memory that it brings to me or whatever. And so do you keep anything that holds a heavy memory or are they all uh, rainbows and unicorns? Oh, no, I, I keep things that are heavy memories for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Such as? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, things to do with my dad. Well, uh, yeah, um, of course. But there's rainbows and unicorns there, too, though. Oh, sure. Sure, yeah. I came across his sunglasses the other day. My dad was a mechanic, and he had a bunch of um, master technician from General Motors, I think. Um, yeah you know, pins and stuff and just things like that. And I can't part with them. And and I would say that is a heavy memory for me because it's just so painful. Well, sure. Yeah. What yeah, happened yeah. and how, you know, how that all went down. And so, I mean, I, I have a mixture of things and, but I'm, I'm okay with the heavy memory. I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I think, you know, if anything I've learned through a lot of different hard times I've had is it is healthy for you to press through the pain. Don't try to sidestep it. Don't try to put it in a you know box in the back of your mind. You've got to press through that pain and feel it because if you don't, it will come out some way. You know, it will. Because um, when dad passed, when I did come back to Nashville, I went right back to work, right back to life and full force ahead. And then about six to nine months later, I started having panic attacks, you yeah, know, and I was reality like, set in. right, right. And so then, you know, okay, that's, that's your body and your mind releasing all of that stress and pain and everything that you, you suppressed. So I've learned press through it, feel it, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you know who Christine Dente is? Yes. That, do you know her song called gotta go through? Oh, it's off her solo album. It's not an okay. out of the gray album. It's off her. I think she did one solo album. Okay. It, it's a great song. I'll I'll put that in the show notes too. But it's basically you know you can't go around, can't go under, can't avoid it. You got to go through. That's right uh, on. Kind of but said way more poetically because she's an amazing lyricist and oh my god mm -hmm. her voice. But um, yeah, as soon as you said that, that song came to mind. Yeah, that's spot on. I mean, that's very appropriate. <laughs> Good poem in it good lyrics and um and she just sounds incredible too well i'll have to give that a listen for sure i'll, so. I'll find it and send it to you um before the show notes come out but it'll be in the show notes too for everybody listening awesome so that's cool. really cool that you are you hang on to the darkness the trials uh, as a as a memento sort of a reminder you know and and i take that and then i feel good because gosh i've I've come through, you know, I've come through so much and, and I'm still here. I'm a survivor. And so when you, you know, when I look at things that bring back the pain of, you know, whatever I've gone through, it's, it's also a reminder that I've been through a lot and I'm surviving and I'm still here and I'm doing well. So, yeah. so that's a good thing. Yeah. So you, um, you had mentioned that you were with the Christchurch Choir for 25 years or so. Mm -hmm. And I, 
uh, recently did the math. Um, I, I had like a five or six year stint there. We left in 98. And okay. it, it wasn't until last October when I learned of Landy's passing that I realized that, that I was there for such a short time. And because yet it, it seems was such like, a significant yeah. value even under that short time. Uh, yeah. Because for three of those five years, I worked for Landy, like in yeah. his uh, interior decorating business. You know, so I would see him six days a week. And I largely credit my time with him as really opening my world to what fine fill in the blank can be. Yes. Fine food, fine wine, fine art, fine fabrics, mm -hmm. fine paint. I'm still particular about what brand of paint I put in my house. I'm like, these are drywall walls. I'm like, yes, but I want that paint <laughs> because it's fine paint. And it re and I've used different brands of paint that were not fine. I was like, ah, there's a reason he insisted on, <laughs> on this paint. Right. Um, I have like a super short bio, I think, on my uh, social media. Husband, father, runner, photographer, lover of the fine, something like that. A lot of that come actually I'm just it all of it comes from the three years I worked for Landy. Because wow. I come from a town in central Illinois that literally is a mile wide from signpost to signpost. There were thirteen streets that ran north and north south. It was mile wide, about a mile and a half high. Not even a blinking yellow when you roll through town. The speed limit changed and there was a main street of sorts. Like you knew you were going through town, but two minutes later you were out the other side <laughs> because it was a 30 mile an hour state highway. And if you were doing 30 miles an hour, it took you two minutes to go through our town because it mm. was a mile wide. And, you know, and I came here and Nashville was a huge city. I knew I wanted to work in music. And it was either either it was either Nashville or L.A. Looked at some opportunities in L.A. Uh, was actually going to go out and interview for some stuff, and I was like, "Nah, I don't want to go to L.A." <laughs> <laughs> and and I still am like, "Nah, I don't want to go to L.A." I'll go out there once a year or so for a photo shoot, and and that's my L.A. fix. I mean, I enjoy it when I'm out there, and okay, no, let me go home. So that's that's how really I landed in Nashville. So when I started working for Landy. I didn't know firsthand that that world of fine fill in the blank existed. I had never been to a legitimate art gallery until we mm. would go to the galleries in Atlanta. Um, oh, wow. And, and, and so everything about my aesthetic from the wine I like to drink, the whiskey I like to drink, the beer I like to drink, the coffee I like to drink, the kind of food I would like to eat all the time. Um, but it, it's just, they don't have the means to do that. But when I, what, when I can and do like, you better believe I appreciate it because mm -hmm. yeah, I just, I love fine fill in the blank. Um, so, you know, I'm sitting in his memorial service and I was just deeply moved by how interwoven he had become into who I had become. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, influenced my photography work, influenced the short amount of graphic design work that I did. And mm -hmm. I, I still do the stuff for me. 
for my for my own stuff. I've branded my own companies and branded this podcast and um that that's I, I'll only design for me. I won't design for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um it's kinda like when I moved to Nashville, I was a musician until I moved to Nashville and realized that <laughs> no, I really wasn't. Um <laughs> Once I was around real musicians, real musicians, I was like, wow, I, I am musical, but I cannot consider myself a musician unless a musicologist would say, well, if you really, if you listen well and you study music and you appreciate music, then yes, you are a musician, sort of, mm-hmm. but you're really not because that's, a musician is one who plays music or makes music. I'm a music aficionado. Um, and, mm-hmm. I, and I rapidly demoted myself to I'm not a musician <laughs> once I moved to Nashville. Um, so being able to sing with the choir was awesome because, I was like, okay, well, maybe I am on a vocal level or at least in a choir of 100 other people mm-hmm. where, where no one hears just me. Um, wow. So, yeah, it's, and all, all that coming from I, it was surprising how short – a period of time that was because it was such a pivotal period of time for me. Right. Right. And being at his memorial service and hearing everybody's tributes, um, you know, and dear God, Dion's and Lauren's eulogies were just poetry in Mm -hmm. honor. I mean, I had both of my girls there because I wanted to introduce them to that small slice of my life. Mm-hmm. Megan was on a girl's trip in Florida or she would have been there. She really hated to miss it because it was a family reunion. You know, these are yeah. people that I have not had not seen in 20 years, you included, aside from the photo shoot that we did uh, several mm-hmm. years back and mm-hmm. you know, some some one offs here and there. But it was it was this massive family reunion. And I wanted my girls to experience that a little bit. Mm hmm. And I'm sitting there in between my girls and I'm hearing his two girls honor him so Uh artfully and beautifully and honorably and respectfully. And I was sitting there going, okay, daddy-o, if you ever want your girls to eulogize you the way his girls are eulogizing them, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you have got to keep your game up there. <laughs> right. Uh, right. So that was just, that was another takeaway from all that. I was like, oh man, I adore my girls. And and a lot of their stories that they had told were from their teenage years. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I've got, I've got one that's eight. <laughs> she had just turned eight. I'm like, okay, I'm note to self. I have a mm-hmm. few more years until I'm in that zone. Um, so it's time to get game ready. Because I would love to be, I would love for them to have the fortitude to speak publicly like Dion and Lauren did. Right. <laughs> Let alone yeah. say the type of things that they said. It was just fantastic. So even in his passing, there was a level of refinery that was still at play. Oh, sure. Yeah, that was amazing. <clears throat> I loved what they said about how he showed, just like you, he showed those girls the beauty of life, you know, and, and the finer things. And, and it wasn't necessarily money. It was, you know, instead of eating on paper plates, he always got the dishes out. Yeah. And it didn't even have to be the China, but it just could not be paper plates. Right. 
And when we would have company lunches, we'd get takeout. I mean, he had a cabinet of dishes and flatware. And to this day, I I don't like to drink coffee out of a (laughs) non-mug. Which actually is a very Italian thing. Oh. When when we were in Italy, Megan and I went to Italy for our 10th anniversary. And we were these crazy Americans who wanted to pop into an Italian coffee shop and get a to-go cup of coffee. And (laughs) they looked at us like we had three heads. (laughs) Like... Uh, no, we don't. We don't have to go cups. You, you, you sit, sit, drink, oh. your, drink coffee, or stand at the bar and shoot your espresso, and get out of there. That's your, that's your to go cup, is a little demitasse of espresso. Wow. You elbow up to the bar, get your espresso, you knock it back, you high five the barista, you get out of there. That's to go coffee in Italy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise, it's sit down, have a pastry, enjoy your cappuccino, slow the heck down, you silly slow Americans. Slow down. That's this right. is the way we do it here in Italy, which is why I love the eat portion of Eat, Pray, Love, the movie. And there, there are so many scenes in there where the Italian is rightly berating the American because we don't know how to enjoy life <laughs> no, the, way that a, the way that an Italian does. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I get that from Landy and, and and then add to the fact that I don't want to throw a, a a one-time use cup into the trash because I don't like to throw stuff away. Yeah. (laughs) Give him coffee in a mug. Yes, please. Coffee in a mug. (laughs) (laughs) I'll ask for a mug. And on the rare chance I'm at a Starbucks when we're outside the city of Nashville, um, I like coffee in a mug, please. And they're like, Oh, do we have mugs? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. They're on the counter over oh, there, you know. Funny. Yeah, so anyway. Yeah, I'll bet they, they do look at you strange. Like, wow, yeah. okay. He's asking for, that's different. And, I'll, and I will order, um, instead of a tall or a grande or a venti or a trente, I'll order what's called a short. They don't have it on the menu, but they have the cups. You have to ask for it. Oh. My favorite cup of coffee, favorite coffee drink, is called a cortado. It's a Spanish, mm-hmm. uh, it's a Spanish coffee and it's cortado means to cut in half. So they pull the shot and it's as if they were making a latte, but instead of filling to 12 ounces with cream, they stop at six. So they oh. literally cut the cream in half. Mm-hmm. So it's just a stronger, more concentrated latte. So that that kind of sounds like cafe con leche, which is Cuban. Uh, cafe con leche is cafe with milk, like just milk, uh-huh. like two percent or whole milk, not half right. and half or not heavy cream. Oh, and a Cuban okay. has a sweetener in it. I don't remember. I think it's sweetened condensed milk, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. And crema in Nashville serves my favorite Cuban. Really? But a cortado is, yeah, it's basically just a concentrated latte because they, they it's not as diluted with extra cream mm-hmm. because you stop halfway. Well, they don't sell cortados at Starbucks. Mm-mm. But they do, if you go in and order a triple short latte, you'll get the closest thing to a, a cortado at Starbucks. 
Good to know. So often, you know, I'll, I'll order that and they're like, oh, we actually don't have the short cups. I'm like, that's okay. Just don't fill the tall cup. I'm okay with it being half filled. Oh, well then that we could do. <laughs> so again, and that, that comes back to, I like my coffee in a mug <laughs> and I like the cup, my coffee, the way I like my coffee. Thank you very much. And that's okay. Yes. That, that's what you like and they can make it happen. So. And if they can't, I can tell them how to make it. it yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. All, all that from, you know, those formative years, you know, my, the, the middle period of my twenties when I, I spent, uh, in the choir and then under Landy, basically, whether in the choir or in the office mm-hmm. or in the truck when we were moving furniture and schlepping rugs and hanging art and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, talk about a, a rocket launch into my career from there. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he influenced so many people, hundreds of people that came through that choir. He was so influential in, in my life and, you know, in, in, in Cleve's life, my, my ex-husband, you know, that when we went to his visitation, well, first of all, when Amanda was born, my daughter, we wanted him to be the one that held her and anointed her and prayed over her when we dedicated her. Cause that's just, that's how much he meant to me. And, yeah. you know, and so it's funny cause when we went to the visitation, we talked about it and we're like, I think we should go together. You know, let's the three of us go so that we can show Joy and the girls how much he meant to us. I don't know. There was just something really that meant a lot to us to be able to go the three of us together, even though we're no longer married. It it was just it was a really cool thing to honor the place he had held in our in our lives and in our hearts by doing that. It, it was kind of funny, too, because someone came up to me and asked me if Cleve and I were back together. And I was like, uh, nope, nope, uh, this nope, is a one. Together. This is a one-night stand right here. Right, right. <laughs> one, for yeah. one night only, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Yeah, no, it's like. That's funny. Like, no, we're just being grown-ups about the situation. Yes, it's, and, called, and, it's called adulting and co-parenting. That's right. And sometimes uh, the <clears throat> situation calls for a deeper meaning and putting any kind of differences aside and coming together. And that's what we did. We, and, and that meant so much to the three of us to be able to go there and honor Landy in that way. Yeah. That's really so. cool. I remember seeing you, you three walk in together and Cleve walked past cause the line was just horrendously long. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I have not seen Cleve since probably at around 20 years. Probably. <laughs> and it's like I recognize him, but it was like, okay, all these different worlds colliding now, 20 mm-hmm. years later. Okay, which which stream was that from? Which stream was that from? Which stream was that from? And I was trying right. to put it together, and he, he went like further down the line, and then he came back, and then I saw you, and I'm like, oh, yes, okay, okay, <laughs> now I've got everything put together. <laughs> right. That happened a lot that night. Yes, it uh, did. For everybody, just kind of going, oh, wait, I know that face. Oh, where, what part of my life was, were they important? And, yeah. you know, at that time and what an amazing night that would, like you said, it was a big family reunion. I did not get to go to the memorial service the next day. In fact, um, Amanda and I flew down to Florida. We had a prior engagement to be at, but I, I was able to live stream it and that was wonderful. To nice. Get to, okay. So you yeah. at least heard it. Oh yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Cause I've listened to Lauren and Dion's eulogies at least five times each 
Me too. Uh, I, and, I think I, I spent I, the next two weeks just replaying those, wanting yeah. to drill it into my, I'm going to have two teenage daughters in eight years. Um, wow. So it was, yeah, no, note, to, <laughs> note to self, start with the end in mind. And they were talking from the end back to me going, all right, here, bucko. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I played it over and over again, too. I played it for Amanda. I, yeah, it was oh, such a moving, moving service. So, yeah. Obviously, uh, you, you at least adulted as a family for that one night. I, and I forget how long you guys have been divorced, but it's been a while. Right. Um, we divorced in 2004. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it has been a while. Jeez. 14 years. Wow. Ooh. You know, we, we brought it, this beautiful girl into the world. And, of course, at the beginning of everything falling apart, there was a lot of hurt and pain and bitterness. But as the years have gone by, we can talk on the phone. We'll talk on the phone for an hour about different stuff or we'll text each other. You know, wow. we're friends. That's cool. Yeah. It, it's and funny. It's like you're talking about non-daughter stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We'll talk about music, you know, whatever. And yeah, or what's going on in the world or whatever. And yeah, and, and so we're in a really, we're in a really good place. You know, of course, most of the time, um, you know, our, our interaction surrounding our daughter, of course. But, but yeah, there's times randomly we'll just text each other and go, hey, did you see that? Blah, 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 you know, or whatever. And something that we both liked. So, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. I'm impressed. Well, thank you. You know, it's, you get, if you can get to that place, it really is healing and, and, you know, it's a good, it's a good thing. At some point you've got to just, you've got to move on. You got to let go of the, um, those bad feelings that originally came up. If you can, you know, if, if, it depends on the situation, of course. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So calling a family huddle going, okay, we're going as a family of three, even though it's a quote-unquote broken or non-intact family, but we still are. Yeah. Maybe not on paper, but for this one night, we're going to go in solidarity and we're going to go to the, fam- go to the family reunion. Yeah. The way it was, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Exactly. Um, so that wasn't just a, a one night thing. Well, for that, for that, it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, you know, we don't like go out on the town and stuff. Now we will go and have dinner with Amanda, just the three of us. Yeah. We, we've done that quite a few times and that is so important for Amanda, you know, yeah. for her. Um, it's so much better when you can do that for your child rather than everything being a conflict, everything being a, a fight tension or, yeah, yeah or bitterness or tension. Yeah. Whatever. And, um, tension or pretense, <laughs> right. There's right. still, it's still tense. Whichever one it is, it's still tense. Right. And so we still do that. It's cool. It's, it's great. I'm very thankful that we've gotten to that place. It's a good place so. to be. Has Amanda acknowledged? I'm trying to think the what I'm trying to ask. Um, is she 
keen to what you guys are doing intentionally? Does she know that you guys are doing that because she needs you guys to do that? I don't know. Or does That's a she, really good question. Or does, does it just happen and it's as if nothing ever happened, even though a lot of things have happened? Um, I don't think we've ever vocalized that. I, I don't, I don't know. That's a really good question. Um, I think we've kind of tried to let it happen naturally. Just as a thing instead of, okay, well, we're going to put on our Amanda's mommy and daddy hats now. Um, no, yeah, no, we, no, it's a, it's a thing that's happened naturally. Like if there was an event at school or a basketball game when she played basketball and we, we would go out to dinner afterwards. We just did it. It wasn't some big, you know, decision. It was like, all right, hey, you want to go get Mexican? All right, let's go. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Again, if this were a video podcast, you could see me like, you know, air high fiving because that. I mean, that's that takes some intentionality. Yeah. Uh, and 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 purpose and adulting mm-hmm. is is the new buzzword. <laughs> It does. I mean, it, it takes some putting aside past pain. And, you know, I can't say that he and I would be friends if we had never had a child and had still gone through what we did. I don't know that we'd still be friends, but hmm. I don't. Well, I really, now, I there's, mean, there's an interesting thought and angle. Mm-hmm, because I don't know where he would be. Would he, would he be in Nashville? Would I be? I mean... You know, we both have stayed in the same geographical area for our daughter. Within within driving distance? Yeah. You know, for all I know, I mean, he could have moved to California or whatever, you know. And so we've been in close geographical, you know, distance from each other. And you know, I think, you know, but I, I do think having Amanda, you know, um, of course, that's kept the bond there. Yeah, that's very cool. I'm in awe of the intentionality that you mm. guys are are bestowing into your daughter. Yeah. She's worth it. That she is. Very much. Amazing, amazing little girl. She's not a little girl anymore, my God. She's going to be 18 in two months. I'm like, she wasn't a little girl a few years back when I photographed the two of you. Mm-mm. She was 13. 13, so, so five. Yeah. yeah. Which, see, it does not seem that long. Uh-uh. She had braces, though. She still had braces yeah. in, in, in that photo shoot. So cute. Yeah. So cute. Yeah, these past five years have gone by very quickly. Very quickly. I And I'm just like, time, can you slow down just a little bit here? You yeah, know, it doesn't do that. I know. And I'm just stunned that we're at this point, that she's going to be 18 and... Whew. I know every parent goes through that. So, mm-hmm. does she still play guitar? She does. Good. What does she play? You know, the last time she played, oh gosh, um, the last time she she played was in the hospice room when my brother was getting ready to pass away from cancer. She played "Stairway to Heaven." Nice. And I sang and. He wasn't conscious, but I believe he heard it. I believe he could hear it. And 
yeah, that was really special. That's the last, no, I think that's the last thing she's, I've heard her play in quite a while. So, and that did was you last keep year. it like early part of the song, guitar, vocal, or did you just rock it out well, no, toward the end? <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't go guitar solo and go crazy. It was. <laughs> did you channel your inner Ann Wilson when? Oh man, <laughs> from the oh, Kennedy Center. Gosh. That is my favorite live performance I think oh, ever. Oh my gosh, they freaking nailed it. Oh, and the, that choir. They, I want to know oh. how many hours of rehearsal went into that song. I know, I know, and wow. the thought that went into that too with that choir uh, wearing all wearing the hat yeah. that had the you know the the uh, the John Bottom. Just every part of that was amazing. Yep. And how the song built, you know, it started out just, you know, Anne and the guitar with Nancy. And then then it brought in, went into the background singers and then they brought in strings. And I mean, it yeah. just grew. I, I have another round of chills. Oh, my God. Oh, I love music. Yeah. gosh. And can you imagine being the guitar player that had to play that solo in front of Jimmy Page? Jimmy Page. No, and you know, and you could see because they kept panning the camera on him, and I mean, I could think, I can only imagine what he was thinking. He's like, probably like, yeah, okay, that'll do. But I would have done this, you know, because I mean, it you wasn't missed exact. a note. Exactly, you missed a note. It wasn't the, you know, he didn't do an exact duplication of of the solo on the record, but that that's one of the most moving performances I've ever seen. And to watch their faces and to watch Robert plant get teary. And yeah. Oh gosh. I'd I love still... to know what he was thinking then, because I've read some interviews of him where, you know, it, it seemed like the interviewer was doing that Chris Farley character was like, you know, when he met Sir, <laughs> Sir Paul, you remember the Beatles? Um, and, and Robert plant would just, shut down the interviewer going that was then that will never happen again right with me as lead you know with that original lineup it's over yeah i am doing this now knowing that he has said that in interviews when i watched that performance and his eyes welled up what was he thinking yeah. Was he thinking, huh, I'd kind of like to do that again? Or was he just, was he so honored that he couldn't hold it in anymore? Or was he going, wow, I wish I could sing like that still? Or was he going, why in the hell did I join that band in the first place? Or, you know, whatever extreme it was. I, I, would... I kind of wondered. I kind of wondered if it was kind of like his life flashing before his eyes. Yeah, or, or that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That I mean, also. seriously. I mean, just to reflecting on that time while they were performing that. I don't know. That's a good question. We'll never know because I bet you he would never. He'd never reveal that. But well, when I see him at a Nashville coffee shop, that's what I'm going <laughs> to ask him. You do that. And if you do see him at a Nashville coffee shop, you better text me or call me so that I can get there. <laughs> because he's on my bucket list. I've met just about everybody I've ever wanted to meet. And uh, he is he's a bucket list guy. I yeah. want to meet Robert Plant. I want a picture with him. And I want him to kiss me on the cheek. So there you go. Like a good European gentleman would. Right. 
<laughs> like a good Brit. Yes. And call me love. Like Barry Gibb called me love yeah. when I met him. I oh remember my gosh. You, yeah, I remember you telling me that. Oh. Hello, love. Oh my gosh. I melted. Just melted. I love that. <laughs> so there you go. Now you know something about me. My bucket list item, meet me robber plant. Let's take a quick break for a nonprofit spotlight selected by our guest. I think Alive Hospice helped to take a lot of the fear out of facing death of someone close to me. My patients serve me as much as I serve them. I walk out of there with a gift every day. One of the social workers here said to me, when you learn to trust us, you can go back to being his wife and not his caretaker. And I will Absolutely. forever remember those words. We call ourselves a live hospice because we deal with the life. We make every minute as best it can possibly be. Death will take care of itself. I think being alone is the thing that has most frightened me in life. The idea of being alone, and certainly the idea of being alone dying. It was remarkable to learn neither my father nor I had to be alone. To learn more, visit AliveHospice.org. Now let's return to my conversation with Ginger Eldridge. We've got a lot more great stories ahead. Well, I mean, we've already <laughs> talked about mine. I mean, I'm, I want to meet Dolly. Oh, um, that's got to happen. And that I want to I want to meet Garth. I've, I've never met Garth. I was on the eighth row at uh, whatever the arena at Middle Tennessee State is called. Allen Arena? No. Murphy Center. The Murphy Center. Um, when he did a, a gig there, oh gosh, was I married yet? I don't think so. So plus 20 years ago. I forget what tour it was. Eighth row, and he's such a pro that he actually looks his fans in the eyes. He does. And the reason I know that is because he looked me in the eyes. That's the closest I've, I've come to quote meeting Garth Brooks. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I would love to, I mean, I have immense respect for him. Um, not only artistically and, and he's one of the reasons I even like country music and I admire his business acumen and his vision like everything um, I am one of the four people on the planet who thinks the In the Life of Chris Gaines album was a good idea. <laughs> one of four, not including Garth, because <laughs> I don't know if he regrets it or not, but yeah. That, I don't know. That was I love that album. I loved that single that he did. I thought it was great. Yeah. But you're kind of embarrassed because everybody was panning it so bad. You know? Oh, I'm not embarrassed at all. I'm telling anybody who's here in this podcast that I think that album was genius. And I don't know very many people who do. Mm -mm. I get where he was going. I get why he wanted to do it when he wanted to do it. Especially given the fact that he refers to Garth in third person. Oh, he yes, he does. I mean, there's Garth Brooks, the man. Mm -hmm. And there's Garth Brooks. Right. And then there's Garth. <laughs> and then there's the G. Right. <laughs> and oh. for a short stint, there was Chris Gaines. Right. 
I love that album. And I'm probably going to get hate mail for it. And that's okay. I think that album is fantastic. I love it Own from it. start to minute, start to finish. The songs are great. The songwriters were great. His vocal on that soul ballad he did that actually got mm-hmm. some airplay because they didn't say who it was. Which I love that song. I, I mean, everything about that I love. Mm-hmm. Megan played it for her mom, who is a huge soul music fan and smooth jazz fan, like and not a country fan at all, although she is a Garth Brooks fan. Because when we saw him at whatever the arena was called back in the time, I was with my mother-in-law the, the last time I saw Garth Brooks in concert. But she didn't know it was Garth. The disc jockey who decided to spin it didn't know it was Garth. But Garth Brooks made it onto a, you know, like a soul jazz or a smooth jazz or even a, a light R&B radio format. Mm-hmm. And the dude's from Oklahoma and wears a right. cowboy hat. Yeah. That's genius. It is. He's amazing. That's I mean, genius. And, and I want to meet this man and I, I will not be able to not be fanboy when I meet Garth Brooks. Oh, I don't think I will. Did you know that a small group of us got to sing on his first Christmas album? Yes. I got to meet him in the studio. He was so down to earth, such good manners. And what I remember is he was wearing shorts and he was swinging a golf club in the lobby. <laughs> I have no idea. It was why, just like a nervous tick. Just something he did. I think so. Or not even know. a nervous tick, but just, you know, I mean, he, he's got that creative genius juice going all the time. So it's got to come out somehow. I guess so. I guess <clears> so. But it was really cool. And, you know, I don't remember interacting with him much like with when we were actually recording. Um, I think he kind of sat back, which is really kind of surprising because he is such a control, like controls everything, you know, with his yeah. career. But but no, we didn't really interact with him until afterwards when when he was in the lobby. So that was very cool to get to meet him and and get to sing on one of his albums. It was amazing. I'm very blessed and honored to have been able to do that. And um, I'm I'm just so thrilled that he's still going too. Yeah. How cool is it that he, you know, he raised his girls. He walked away thing. from it for his girls. Yeah. Massive yeah. respect. I do too. I do too. Came right back, picked up where he left off. Yeah. So he's, he's definitely a, a bucket list guy. And for cool. a while, Gene Simmons was on my, my celebrity bucket list, but he's, yeah, I don't, I think he's kind of, I think I might've <laughs> taken him off. <laughs> Yeah, for for the same business genius reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that kind of faded once I got out of the music business. I don't want to go to the grave not having met Dolly and Garth. Oh, you, that's I got could go to, to the happen. I could go to my grave not having met Gene, Gene Simmons. Right, right. I mean, it'd be cool, but it, I wouldn't be like, oh crap, I didn't get to meet Gene Simmons, man. I I know somebody who pinched his butt in an elevator. Or had his butt pinched by him in an elevator. One of the two. <laughs> like, seriously. I mean, I'm one degree away from Gene Simmons. But, oh, boy. But, and here I am talking to you, and you got to freaking second base with Dolly Parton. I mean, come on. <laughs> I was going to give you a, a true confession. Do you remember the reality show that, that Gene Simmons had with his wife and yeah. kids? I loved that show. I couldn't I loved it. it. I couldn't watch. Of course, I'm not a big reality TV fan. Of course, and and these days I'm not a TV fan. Oh, really? Yeah. 
we have one, but we don't even have cable coming into it. Wow. Okay. So we don't have broadcast TV either. We have Netflix and then whatever we can stream on YouTube. (laughs) Yeah. We, when we moved to this house, we just never reconnected it. We, well, we need Wi-Fi. You know, got to run a business out of the house and, you know, we quote, need internet. If we're going to live in this first world economy, well, by God, we need broadband. Yes. Um, You know, so we, we have that, but yeah, we don't have TV. We missed every bit of the Winter Olympics because we don't have (laughs) broadcast TV. I missed most of the Winter Olympics and I have TV, but. (laughs) I mean, I I love the Olympics. Now, you know, come. too come summer olympics when when there's all like the the running stuff i mean i'll i'll find a way to watch all that but mm-hmm. just wasn't priority i kind of wish it was because i mean i like all the snow stuff and megan likes the figure skating and and, and all that mm-hmm. but yeah we got three kids now <laughs> when yeah three kids who has time yep who has time? i mean we could make time for that but we we've just chosen not to yeah so you had mentioned that you and Cleve, you live in the same geographic area, but he doesn't live in town anymore? He lives south of Murfreesboro. South of Murfreesboro. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. When we first split up, he moved up to Kentucky near his parents, or actually with his parents for a while. And he lived up there for a period of time. And then he moved to Clarksville and went to Austin P. And, and he went back to college and got his nursing degree. He's a, Oh, very cool. Yeah. And, and so he lived in Clarksville. So that was, you know, visitation times. That was a little bit of a challenge, but certainly not as much as being three hours away. And then, but it's not exactly, hey, I have to work late. Can you go pick her up from school? Right. Yeah. And so, so then he moved. I think he moved from Clarksville to where he's living now. He went. He went back to school, and he's he's a nurse practitioner. And so he went back again and got his master's in nursing and um yeah so he's not not too far about 20 minutes away and amanda drives there and so anytime (laughs) she gets in the car anytime she gets in the car i just hold my breath yeah i i i I picked that up with that little (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's good it's good he's still very much in uh in her life and, and has been, and that's a good thing. That's awesome. There would have been, have been times I, I kind of wanted to move back to Miami and I wouldn't because I could not take her away from her dad. Yeah, That just was not fair, yep. you know, and I just wasn't going to do it. So I didn't, you know, I made sure that we were kind of in the same area so that she could see him. I have some friends who I, I really would still love for them to move to Nashville, kind of having job woes back home. And I'm like, dude, come to Nashville. I mean, there's there's jobs. And especially in this particular person's line of work, tons of those jobs here. And this was, you know, years ago. His, his daughter is now married and, you know, long out of the house. But at the time, he's like, nope, not leaving her. I'm, I'm going to stay right here. I'll I'll do what I need to do, but I, I am not leaving. I'm not leaving my girl. That's like, good. Nor would I want you to for that reason. Right. That, that's why I'm, I'm still, you know, high-fiving you for the intentionality that you guys have still been an active, quote, couple, parenting, duo, partnership, despite the circumstances. Right. 
Well, thank you. Thanks for that high five. That will um, that will come back in spades um, of benefit for her. You know, once you have a child, you're you're you know they come first. You know, and in most areas, they're depending on you to show them the way, to raise them, to provide for them, and they're dependent on you. And so I, I just could not imagine being selfish and putting my wants, wanting to move back to Miami or whatever. You know, I, I just couldn't imagine doing it. It, it would not be in her best interest. Yeah. And so I'm glad it, it's worked out great. It's worked out the way it should have. So, you know, and, and of course, I, I don't want to downplay the scenarios where there is a toxicity that right. one parent needs to separate the child from that level of toxicity. Oh, either. absolutely. Um, yeah, no. Which is also in the best interest of the child is, is yes. really what I'm getting at. Yes. There's a, a level of self-sacrifice that comes with parenting. Absolutely. And in, in whatever you know, it scenario is, you are. Right. It depends on the circumstances. And with our circumstance, the reasons for us splitting up, it wasn't like there was abuse or there was anything horrible happening. It, you know, it just, it, it was the situation. It was what it was, you know? Yeah. You know, she still had to, her needs still have to come first. At least that's how I feel about it. And apparently he does too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll that'll come back in spades. That's um, there's a lot of good sewing going on there that will reap some goodness. I certainly hope and, so. For and her. in an equal philosophy, there's a lot of karma that is going there that will come back around as good karma. That's a it's a universality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a curious bone in my body that is often asking questions. And I have several friends who are now no longer married to the person that I knew them as marrying for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I jokingly call myself an armchair sociologist, partly because I'm interested in the way the herd does things. Not so much the individual, but why groups of people do things that groups of people do. Mm -hmm. Sociology and not psychology. Megan and I both come from broken homes, and it is always curious to me if I could get someone to say, okay, so I've come through a broken marriage myself. Here's what it was like for me. So in the rare event, I mean, we're going on 20 years, so I think we're okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I want to have some comfort and solace in that longevity. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to get comfortable in that and get lazy. Right. So there's where my curiosity comes for something like this. I, and I always have to couch that when I ask this question. What broke up your marriage? Maybe there is a common thread that maybe someone's sitting on the edge looking down going, I should jump. What would mm -hmm. maybe pull them off the edge? Right. <laughs> That's the, uh, the heart of why... I'm asking a very personal question. Um, well, so Cleve and I met in choir. We met at Christ Church in the choir, and we pretty much fell in love on the trip that we all took out to California to sing at the Crystal Cathedral. 
That was really when we got together. And oh, wow. Okay. I, I, I mm-hmm. didn't go on that one, so I didn't see that all happen. Oh, it was, <laughs> it was really cute. It was sickening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were madly in love. I mean, we were all in. We were all in. We had a fairy tale marriage. You know, it was it was really wonderful. And did I yeah. say fairy tale wedding? Yeah. So we got married, and about three years into the marriage, we had Amanda. And then about two two and a half years after she was born, he began having some really deep conflict inside, and I noticed his behavior started to change and. I was like, oh, my gosh, is he cheating on me? What's going on here? We weren't getting along. Things were just really falling apart. And um, I knew deep down there was something serious going on. But he would he would always say, no, everything's fine. There's nothing going on, you know. And I remember the day he finally confessed to me what was happening he was getting ready to leave for work and we weren't arguing. I mean, I just randomly, he actually was kissing me by and I just randomly looked at him and just went, all right, you aren't cheating me on me, are you? And that time, I don't know why, but that time he paused and he broke down and started sobbing and saying, you don't deserve this. And we tried you know, we talked, we tried to talk. He was, I mean, obviously called into work and it, it was really emotional. And, you know, I, I tried to get him to tell me what was going on. And he finally admitted to me that he had, had been struggling with his sexual orientation hmm. for a while, but he had never acted on it. You know, he lived a straight life, dated women. There was no nothing that he had acted on, no feelings he had acted on or anything before this happened. You know, when you have a child, it's a strain on your marriage. It can be, you know, because you're trying to struggle through and and it's all new. And when that happens, if there's a crack in the foundation of your marriage and you put strain and strain and strain on it, that crack's going to get bigger. And that foundation is going to start crumbling. And that's pretty much what happened with us. So, you know, he had had a situation where he realized that he had gotten involved with someone. And he eventually, as we dug deeper into things, told me that he, to be, to be honest, he had had struggled with this since he was like five years old. But because of his upbringing in the church... And having had it pounded into his heart and mind that being gay was an abomination, he had suppressed those feelings and tried to do what society told him was the right thing to do, the normal thing to do. Date women, you know, get married, have a child, try to keep living a quote unquote normal life. And when this all went down, he was at the point of no return. He couldn't, he couldn't keep denying who he was, you know, inside the very core of his being. And I mean, I want to be really clear about this again. We were in love when we got married and he will tell you that he was in love with me and I was in love with him. He tried everything inside of him to not be gay. We went to the church. He went to reparative therapy he did that for almost a year. It failed. 
it failed. I mean, Hmm. because, you know, it was the point of no return. He realized that's who he was and he could not deny that anymore. So at the point where I realized, okay, there's no turning back. I filed for divorce because I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't live a lie. I couldn't raise my daughter in a situation where it was chaos, you know? Do you think that was reactive or responsive? The decision to file for divorce? Yes. Oh, it, I would say responsive because okay. we, again, we tried for like a year to make it work after okay. he disclosed what was going on. And so, you know, it just got to that point. It was devastating. It was devastating for both of us. He didn't want to lose his family, but he couldn't deny who he truly was at the core of his being. And so, you know, the next few years after that were some of the most difficult for him and for me you know, both trying to figure out how we were going to parent this sweet little girl and protect her from the trauma of, of it all, which you can't really do because you, you're breaking up her home, you yeah. know? And yet through all of this, I had people say things to me like, well, didn't you suspect before you married him that he was gay? Because we did. I had people say that to me. And it felt very cruel, and I just wanted to go, really? I'm pretty sure if I had suspected that at the time, I would have dealt with it. Do you really think I'm that stupid, you know? Yeah. But it's it's just amazing what people will say, gossip kind of crap, and, you know, and, and it was hard for me as a woman because you question yourself, you know? Even though your logic tells you, you know, it wasn't anything you could have done or not done, you know, you're still in the back of your mind, you're going, well, was I woman enough to keep him from looking elsewhere? You know? Yeah. And, and, and after, I mean, I acted out in some ways after, after the divorce, trying to prove to myself that it wasn't me, you know, that I was woman enough. And so, you know, you kind of think, does everybody think I'm pathetic? You know, and you know, did I turn a straight man gay and that's, that's a comment I've actually gotten before, not even that long ago. I had an idiot laugh at me about the situation and pretty much say, oh, my God, you turned a guy gay? Wow. Did you yeah. take him? Oh, well, I'm at a point now. <laughs> or at least you know take what, a swing? You know what my response is? No, honey. I almost turned a gay man straight. There you go. So we've come a long way, you know, as we've talked about since then. And, but for me, the embarrassing, you know, it's an embarrassing feeling because you feel like when somebody comes up to you and says, well, didn't you think, didn't you suspect? And, you know, you kind of feel like everybody was in on the joke or something and you were not, you know, like everybody knew, but, but, but me, but me. Yeah. But don't bother saying anything to me on the front end. Thank you very much. Right. You know, it's it's like these people that get on American Idol because they've been told that they can sing. Yeah. Uh, no, just be nice to them on the front end. Say, no, you probably ought to not go do that. <laughs> you know, right. Like, here I am getting ready to walk off of a cliff. And if everybody knew I was <laughs> getting ready popcorn. to walk off. Yeah, watching. <laughs> well, this will be interesting. Right. <laughs> it's like Michael Jackson at the beginning of the Thriller video. Right. Exactly. I love that. But exactly. I'm like, really, you know, what good is it for you to say that to me after the fact? 
did that make you feel better to say that, to make sure I knew that you knew somehow something that even he did not fully had, had not fully come to terms with. Yeah. You know, and and likely the answer to that rhetorical question is yes, they do feel better. Yeah. I mean, I felt like a lot of things that were said to me after that were definitely patting themselves on the back for having somehow known something that even he, again, I don't, even he was struggling. He hadn't fully come to terms with it. Now, here's the thing. I mean, he is a very, um, you know, he's funny, artistic. He's, you know, over the top sometimes. He's, you know, all of those things are what attracted me to him. And then, then you well, kind he's, of... He's charismatic and, and magnanimous. Exactly. He's fun. So very yeah. fun. And you look back and you're kind of, well, maybe some of that was kind of stereotypical kind of gay stuff. I mean, like I said, you know, he, he does the, the best imitation of Cher I have ever seen anybody do. You know, I'm serious. <laughs> Which it's, actually it's, is pretty stereotypical. <laughs> it is. It is. So then you, you look back and you go, well, shoot, maybe I didn't get on, you know, <laughs> whatever. But it is what it is. So you just right. take your bruises and you, you go, you know, you go on. But so, yeah, I mean, it, it it took me a long time to try to get into a healthy relationship. And I have to be honest, I mean, I don't really, I've had relationships since then. I made a commitment about five years ago after the end of, of a relationship that I had that I was not going to date until Amanda got out of high school. Yeah. And the reason for that is I felt like it, it divided my attention. Yeah. I have a lot of regrets for the relationship that I was in during the time when she was like from nine to 12. I feel like those were really formative years where she needed my full attention and my, my attention was divided yeah. between her and the, the person I was dating. And her and I have talked about it. I've told her how I regretted that. And of course she's like, mama, you, you did what you thought was best. It's okay. You know, yeah. we, there's forgiveness there. I still have that regret, though. I guess I was just so hungry to be loved, you know, and welcome have... to being human. <laughs> right. But after that, I had decided I don't want to date anybody until until she's out of school. And I can I, I just feel like I, the right thing to do for me was to focus my attention on her. She needed me, you yeah. know. And, and, and generally speaking, not that you need my agreement or validation by any stretch of the imagination. Generally speaking, knowing that there are exceptions, I think that is the wise thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's, generally it's been, speaking, I know there are specifics, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not trying to shame anyone who has not chosen that route. Generally speaking, I right. think that is the, the wise thing to do. Yes. Yeah. It's, life has been a lot simpler since I made that decision a lot more peaceful so I'm 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 very thankful and glad that God gave me the strength to make that decision and and move forward that way so as a woman it does a number on your head and I know there's a lot of women and especially in Nashville it seems like that have gone through the same thing I've been through yeah that and got married and then I think it's stereotypical I guess but because of music, the arts, I don't know why, but that seems to have been the church, you know, with the church being such a huge part of life in Nashville yeah, um, and upbringings and everything. 
um, I feel like that's got to be part of the reason why it's so prevalent here. So I would imagine it's prevalent elsewhere, but mm-hmm. it's magnified here because we're in the fishbowl. True. That's a good point. Yeah. But at the true. same time, I've not lived anywhere else for the last 26 years. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I may just be blowing smoke. <laughs> I've got no yeah. direct experience in living in another city. Right. So take that for whatever it's not worth. So it's something that, you know, you just kind of have to navigate your way through. But there are support groups. There's a support group. It's a secret group on Facebook. So I'm not going to talk about well, yeah, what yeah, yeah, the of name course. of it is or anything. But, but you know, there are support groups for that and for women or actually men too, spouses who, you know, had a gay ex-spouse or spouse or how, whatever the situation is. Yeah. And so that's good. I mean, that's good because you realize, okay, I'm not a freak. I'm not alone. I'm dealing with something that other people are dealing with and it gives you strength. There's strength in numbers. Yeah. So that's the story. That's, that's why we broke up. And, wow. and, and that's the thing. That's why we have grown past that, you know, and there's no threat there. And that's why I laughed when somebody asked me if we were back together. Cause I was like, uh, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but in all fairness, as inappropriate as that question or assumption might have been. Oh, I, I wasn't offended. In the there, least. I there is. Out loud. And, and it, well, yeah. And, and I didn't ask it. Uh, I, I might've been nearby when I heard someone ask me if I knew anything, but that would not necessarily be outside the realm of possibility. Maybe not necessarily with you guys, but within that situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I know that's a razor thin possibility, but it is a possibility. Right. Albeit a razor thin one. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And and yeah. I want I don't want to think that maybe there was some wishful thinking in that inquiry also. Oh. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm speculating because, I mean, that, yeah, it was such a blur. Everybody, yes, everybody loves the, the happy ending. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they got back together and they live happily ever after. No, that's not reality, so. Yeah. But no, I, don't get me wrong, I took absolutely zero offense to that. I laughed. I thought it was funny. I mean, I literally got humor out of it and, and laughed and I thought it was, it was great. And Cleve did too, by the way, because I told him. I told oh, that's him funny. about it. Yeah, I told. I was like, "Well, they just asked if we're back together again," and and we both, ah, you know, laughed, howled about it. So. <laughs> wow. What was what were some of the things you had to navigate through as it was unraveling, like after you filed and then after it was done, because it wasn't just done. I mean, it was official. There was a date stamp on it, notary public. <laughs> okay, you are now no longer married. There's a line in the sand there, but that doesn't mean it's done. It's not over. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. Am I right? Am I am I understanding this? It's not well, it's not over because we have a child together. We have a child together. Yes, and you found a way to make it work and and be adults. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Like you said, be an adult, make it work. Sometimes you have to put aside your hurt and your feelings for the best of that child. It's a good thing and, that's and, not complicated. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, 
I was just going to say that is not to say that it has been roses because it was very, very hard. I would say the first five years were pretty rough. They were rough. Rough because it was the standard stages of grief that one goes through? I think Or so. rougher because it was that and then some? Oh, yeah. That and then some. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there was just a lot. The grief, all of those things that I just talked about that I had to deal with, all those emotions, I was having to deal with that plus be a mom plus have to see him when he would pick her up or, you know. So there's bitterness there, you know, you, you're bitter cause you're like, look at what you've put me through. Well, yeah. You know, yet on the other side of that, I have compassion because I feel like he did his best. He did the best he could under the circumstances. So how quickly did you work through you personally work through the denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance? Oh my God. How, how long did it take you to reach that last A? Years. Years? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for instance, making the bad decision of the last relationship I was in, I should not have been in that relationship. There, I was not ready. I was not ready. That is something, it's just like the grief when you grieve the loss of a person to death, you really go through those those stages of grief on some level, the rest of your life, of course, it's not as magnified as in the beginning. Cause you're, you know, the shock is the shock wears off and yeah, you, you, all you, of that. you've had some, um, biological medication, <laughs> survival medication, right. your, your shock system that quote comforts you, soothes you so you can breathe another day. Right. But I mean, even to this day, you know, you, if you sit and start thinking about it, you can feel that pain again, or I can, you know, just like in the loss of my dad. I mean, I don't sit around and think about the loss of him every day, but then there's times when something will just stab me in the stomach. It feels like, and you're just like, Oh gosh. Well, it's the same thing with the end of a marriage. It's the end of, it's the death of what you, an entity. I mean, you, you created an entity Mm-hmm. That now no longer thrives. Right. And you had these hopes and dreams of growing all together and all those things. And then life got in the way, so to speak. You know, it's so, yeah, you're, it is a grief process. So, yeah, it it took years for I, I guess I'm a slow healer, but I finally came into my own way, I guess, five years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. So it's been I mean, it, it took me a while kind of just surviving for a long time. Would you say you had reached that place you're talking about when we did our photo shoot or had it yet arrived? I would say I was there. I I, I would say I had gotten to that point by then. Good, because I sensed that you had. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you actually thought you had also. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, so yeah, you read me well. <laughs> well, good. And, and that's that honestly, that's one of the reasons that I, I don't know if you remember at that photo shoot, I kind of primed the pump that I wanted you to say something to Amanda, just the two of you. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. I not necessarily remember what you said, although you might, but do you remember I asked you to say, have something top of mind to say to Amanda because... 
And and I I think I even stood far away. I don't remember what you said, but I I remember I wanted to photograph you in the process of saying something to her. Yep. And um, there's a really awesome picture of that that you got that you captured. Oh, good, um, good. So cuz yeah. cuz I honestly I don't remember even hearing, I could see that your mouth was moving and I was, I oh, okay, I need to fire. Okay. There, there, there's an E good fire. Cause an E looks like a smile. You never want to fire on an O. Oh, funny. <laughs> Cause it's an awkward pucker. I couldn't hear what you were saying, but I was watching what you were saying. So I, I'm good. I'm glad, I'm glad the image is there. Yeah. I, honestly, I don't remember what I said. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> I love that picture though. I love the picture that it's all those pictures were just, oh God. A treasure. Good. An absolute treasure. As they're supposed to be. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you remember if the picture is of you saying something or of her response to what you said? I think it's of her response, her facial response, because I'm smiling and she's kind of, she's right close to me. And we're both, we're not laughing like laughing out loud. We're just we have these really just great smiles on yeah. our face. Like, you were, la- you know, you were we, laughing like with we, your heart instead of your face. Yeah. We share, it was like we had shared, just shared a secret or something. Yeah. Just awesome. So good. So there you go. So the last five years have been the way that was five years ago or has it gotten even better? I would say it's gotten better. Awesome. Yeah. So, it sounds like it has. I mean, I knew the answer to that mm-hmm. question when I asked it, mm-hmm. but I wanted to, I wanted to confirm. Yeah. You, you grow, you grow and you heal and you learn how to navigate through life with what life has dished out to you. So it's made me a much stronger person. You know, the deaths I've had to deal with, the loss of the marriage, all of those things, it's made me who I am today. And, and I feel like I'm in a really good place. I'm, I'm a much stronger person. I feel like I'm more confident now and sure of myself. Of course, part of that, too, may be turning 50. They always say after you turn 50 that you kind of drop your, really, your give a shitter <laughs> about what people I, I would, Actually, I was going to use those words, too. Yeah. You, um, you just what don't. was that song Jody Messina did, My Give a Damn's Busted? <laughs> right. That's pretty much sums it up. My give a damn got busted. So, you know, like when I was saying what people would had said to me that were was really hurtful, you know, after my divorce... I was crushed and embarrassed that someone, you know, that they thought that now I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, (laughs) you're like, you thought that, right. That's all you got. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, what? You're like, that's the thing you, you extend to me. That's it. Really? Thank you. Exactly. That's how I'm, I feel about it now. So move forward. Wow, and uh, I'm I'm going to bring this back to that Christine Dente song, "Gotta Go Through." I'll, and I'll surely there's a YouTube, even if it's just playing the song with the cover static there. I don't know if she made a video of it, but surely there's one on YouTube, and I'll put it in the show notes so people can check out this song because it's been a while since I've heard it, but it really sounds like what you just said is what she is saying in that song. Oh wow! Okay, and of course, everything to me it has a song to it. That's awesome. I love Even it. Even that has a song to it because it's the song Remembers When by Trisha Yearwood. Yes. You know, I've always said that there is a Tom Petty song for every occasion in life. Like, the waiting is the hardest part. I won't back down. You know, if you really got, go through his catalog, you're like, man, there is really something that applies to every 
Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So okay, I'm, so another shocking musical confession. I'm not a Tom Petty fan. Is it okay to admit that in, in a town of, of songwriters? Of course it is. Oh, I mean, of yeah, it is. I was I was sad to hear of his passing, especially you know weeks later when I learned of the circumstances what? that led up to it. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I knew he had a following, but dear Lord, I didn't realize how much of an impact he had on people until everybody was like, oh my God, no, not Tom Petty. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I've missed out a little bit, but he just never hooked me. Well, you know, his voice is kind of different and it's, he's not a great singer. It was definitely a style you know, the way he sang. And I'll tell you, his band is awesome. Incredible musicians. And his songs are great. You you ought to kind of, you know, maybe go back into it, kind of overlook the voice. I guess. I don't, I don't know. Was that kind of maybe the turnoff for you or what? Honestly, it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Same for Bob Dylan. And I know I'm going to get a double lightning strike on that one. No, I, um, I, I agree with you. 100%. I recognize, or I I know Dylan more as a songwriter, mm-hmm. and yes, he's a quote singer songwriter. But let's be honest, he's not a singer. No, no, he's not. <laughs> I mean, we can and all really, agree on that, right? Right. Okay. And good. Was Tom Petty, and he kind of had that nasally sound, and yeah, I, I get it. I okay. get it. So I'm not too far off. No, I, I recognize no. I'm I'm off base because I've missed a chunk of American culture mm-hmm. because I didn't get on the petty train. But I mean, I can always I can always check it out. Yeah, I wasn't on the Beatles train for the longest time, and then I I'm like, you know what? I should probably look into this band called the Beatles. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, they did that song. Not here. They did that song. Really? Right. I I actually have heard the Beatles. I mean, I too came from a very sheltered musical background when I was a teenager. Uh, Some of it was self-imposed, but a lot of it was institutionally imposed. And to some degree, I'm making up for that. But, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. Right. And quite honestly, I'd rather read audiobooks right now. Um, As Mm -hmm. much as I love music, I've listened to a probably 5% quantity of music in 2018 than I did the last three years combined. I've just, I've been diving into audiobooks and podcasts. It's just a phase. I mean, a couple of years ago, I went through, you know, I actually don't think I can speak very intentionally about, or very, very intelligently about classical music. So I dedicated an entire year diving into what do I need to know about classical music? What are the pieces I need to have at the ready? Um, so That's I don't so know. Cool. I don't know. Maybe I'll do that with Tom Petty for, <laughs> I, it probably won't be an entire year. I might be able to get through a month, maybe a week. Um, maybe do one lap through somebody saying, okay, listen to these Tom Petty songs. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Got it. I don't see it being an entire year because he didn't live as long as all of the eras right. of classical music. So, so I go through these phases. And so 2018 is my audiobook phase. I think that's really cool that you kind of separate out a time to immerse yourself in a certain thing to learn about it. That's really cool to do that for classical music. I mean, I the reason I know classical music is because I was in the Belmont School of Music, and yeah. that's what you learned. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, you know, I probably wouldn't have really gotten into it. I, I probably wouldn't have. I would have known Beethoven, and that's it. Yeah. Well, but, and hey, if you only know Beethoven, you picked the one to know. 
Right. But, you know, my favorite's Mozart. Or that one, yes. Mainly because when I was in Corral, we traveled to Europe in we did twice, but the first time in 87, and we learned Mozart's Requiem. Oh, great piece. Oh, my gosh. I fell in love with yeah, that. Yeah, great is not superlative enough to describe it. Right. And we did a, the choral clinic, learned it in St. Moritz, Switzerland, mm. in the Alps. So whenever I think about the Requiem, I think about that whole circumstance of learning it in the Alps and how amazing that was. Yep. And then performing it in, in an opera house in Bern, Switzerland wow. in the capital, just all of that or surrounding that. And oh, it was incredible. And yeah. so that's my favorite piece of classical music of all time. I love him. I love, I love that, all of his stuff. That's good. So. Megan's a big Mozart fan too. Cause they share a birthday different Aww. year, obviously, but they, they different were born the same day. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, they share a birthday. And oh. and I'm enough of a Beethoven fan that when we found out we were having a son, I, quote, announced the name of our soon-to-be-born son, who would come 18 days later. 14 days later, sorry. But I, I chose April 1st to announce that our son's name was going to be Count Ludwig von Beyerlein. Not V-O-N, but V-A-U-G-H-N. <laughs> Oh my! Count goodness. Ludwig von Beyerlein was going to be the name of our son. Oh my God! Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a Beethoven fan. He was oh, wow. the original rock star because <laughs> he was a renegade. Yeah, he was a renegade at the time. I mean, prior to him, it was Mozart and Handel, and they're you know they were ready for high tea and high church, and he comes in and like you know plugs in a Marshall amp and a Les Paul and goes, "I'm going to write some classical music." <laughs> yeah he he's the original rock star that's cool i have loved this conversation me too the one thing i would change about this is that we would actually be in the same room and there would be whiskey flowing yes oh boy um, that would that would be fun yeah boy the things i might say then <laughs> <laughs> there you have it if you enjoyed this subscribe and share with your friends Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Collected Clan. We'll be there. Be sure you visit the show notes for this episode at www.collectedclan.com slash Ginger Eldridge to see photos mentioned in this episode and a whole lot more. Also, I'd love to hear from you about any specific follow-ups to this or previous conversations that you'd like to hear. Email me at collectedclan at gmail.com. And a big shout out to my friends Worldwide Groove Corporation for this episode's original music. The song is Mimosa from their album Chilodisiac Lounge Volume 1. Check out more of their music at WorldwideGrooveCorporation.com. Thank you again for listening. Now go be you. <laughs> <laughs>